The following is a Kingfisher Media production. In this week's episode, we'll find out what a tissue box, a real men feel podcast, and a butt pucker have in common. <laughs> the answer is Andy Grant. Stay tuned for this week's episode. There is intention behind every life. And part of what I've found, part of the fun of life, is discovering and creating your purpose. Like, it's up to us to add the meaning to our life. When I was a kid, I wanted someone to tell me, why do I matter? To give me, assign me my meaning. Like, give, give me my career. Tell, tell me what to do. I'll, I'll be a good boy. I'll do what I'm told. Mm-hmm. But that's a, a oh, it's just an empty shell of a life. Okay, you use the word spiritual. And I hate that word. <laughs> and the, the, re- the reason I hate that word is because there's as many different definitions for it as there are people who use it. It yeah. to me, it's it's like a placeholder for what should be a different word in the context of every conversation that it comes up. When you say spiritual, what are you talking about? Yeah. That I am that I am more than a physical body. Okay, there is okay. The other aspect of me that is spirit. Okay, that's that- simple. Again, that's like one of the best answers to that question. I think I've heard too. <laughs> Most people, it's like they'll float around in the in in the clouds for a while, and I, I never really get to the heart of what the hell they're talking about. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes like you get lost in the details, and you don't know what the details are. It's like sometimes the simple answer is just well, this, what's the the, the <laughs> truth is simple, and and this goes for getting help as well. For me to feel complicated and important, you can't help me. No, no cliche, nothing simple. Like I'm a complex mess of a human. You can't yeah. figure me out quickly. No, the, the truth is simple. Right? Take when I finally learned to take responsibility for my life, which I avoided because I thought responsibility. I thought responsibility and blame were the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be blamed. That's it's, it's not my fault. Like I'm a victim of all these different things growing up as a kid. How can I be responsible for it? Right. But when I take responsibility for how I'm going to feel today, that's where my freedom really began. And by realizing that I have a spiritual aspect that is beyond a, a definition, it is, it is beyond my, my thinking, I just know there's more to me. When I realized there was more to me, ah, I could take responsibility and be in sync with the sense of more, trust my feelings, trust my experiences. I, I love discovering I was wrong about something. Yeah, but when I was growing up, I thought being right was the most important thing. Oh, sure. <laughs> and and there are a lot of uh, people of all ages that still think that's what they live to be right. And I find that someone that lives that way is most likely very unhappy. Yeah. No, I can identify with that. I mean, like I went through the first 35 something odd years of my life needing to be right. I I've realized maybe it's like part of the wisdom that comes with starting to get a little older is that the learning experiences in life, like the really valuable learning experiences will never come when you're right. They always come when you're wrong. And especially if there's a bit of an emotional sting attached to that, I think that sting is what forces you to remember the lesson you just learned from being wrong. It's okay to feel kind of, I was wrong. Just don't stop there. Don't wallow, you know, like pick yourself up. You know, being, being wrong doesn't mean stopping. doesn't mean quitting. Right. Well, I'm wrong. Well, what can I do with this? 
You know, yeah. Let me redirect myself. What What's next then? If, if I've been right. wrong about all these things I thought were, were accurate and true and valid, what am I willing to do now? So you right. mentioned something that it's basically, I think it's just a, it's probably the Andy Grant version of AC Fisher's, uh, one of his two core personal philosophies, which is that taking responsibility is more productive than assigning blame. Sure. So you and I are obviously on the same page there. My other core philosophy, and this is the one where I part ways with a lot of people, they just don't like it, is the idea that offense is taken, it's not given. How do you feel about that statement? Oh, totally true. Yeah, I I can't make you feel, you decide how you feel. But people are quick to go, oh, you made me feel this way. I'm like, no, I'm, I, I, I do not have that power. I would like to high five you right now, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you would be like, how does one change their feelings? It starts with what you're focusing on, right? So feeling good or bad, which those aren't even, you know, feelings serve you or don't. And they serve you by telling you you're enjoying the feeling. I want more of this. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep thinking what I'm thinking. I'm going to keep my attention focused on what, what is creating this feeling that I think feels good to me. If I'm feeling shame or grief or something heavy, something I'm not liking to feel, I've got to say, all right, well, what was I thinking before I started feeling this way? What, what am I focusing on? Where is my attention that is resulting in these feelings that I don't want to continue? And sometimes, and actually way more often than not, leaning into that so-called bad feeling makes it pass quicker and easier, uh, more effortlessly than I ever would have imagined. It's our resistance to feeling. It's it's touching the hot stove and oh, and recoiling that makes it stick around longer. If we were really willing to feel everything, the moment it shows up, we we get through it. On the other side of every bad feeling is is freedom, is is joy. There's peace. That's actually a fascinating approach. That's not what I've heard anybody say before. And I'm a guy like. I've been through years of therapy. I'm the guy who went to counseling and the counselor said, you're a fascinating case. I think you need a psychologist. Psychologist said, you know, you're a fascinating case. I think you need a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, you're a fascinating case. I'm going to bring in a colleague. <laughs> you know, it's like, I always felt like my problems were just so kind of like messed up. My, my emotions were so strong. And the one thing that unified all these people that admittedly couldn't figure out how to help me was that I had to figure out how to deprioritize a lot of this emotion. And what you're saying is the exact opposite. It's like, you don't want to lean away from this stuff. You want to like basically run straight at it, but you don't come across like a hot headed, careless person. You seem very deliberate in all of your actions, your philosophies, your emotional navigation. How did you come to understand that like leaning into what's overwhelming is actually the best way to stop feeling overwhelmed? It seems almost th that train of thought seems insane in a way. Right. Well, and how do, we, how do we get to the point where we can have a conversation with someone and be allowed to sit there and feel what we feel without being judged by that person or, you know, given the space to feel what we feel? You know what I mean? So otherwise we, you know, conversations can get really heated. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I can't, I can't make you, I can't have a conversation with either you or anybody else to say, now I'm going to do this, but you can't judge me. Right. It's, mm -hmm. again, it's responsibility. So I'm, 
it, it comes down to authenticity for me. I find over and over again, the more open and authentic I am, I believe that vulnerability is a superpower that most men don't utilize. Every time yeah. I do it, every time I think, oh, I've overshared, I've said too much, I get incredible feedback back to me. Yeah. Right? From people, from connection, from my, oh my God, I never heard anyone say that. Like, oh, I've never heard a man talk like you're talking, but I feel the same way. Great. Right? Vulnerability, being open, being a guy willing to feel and share about it allows everyone to connect to that. Right? I, I, I lead men's groups. Uh, I facilitate online men's groups and there's one way that male competitiveness shows up in, in a healthy way can be utilized is that when one guy shares something really traumatic or heartbreaking, other guys will be like, oh, we're going there. All right. Well, look, here's here's my horror story. And then they'll try right. to up it. Right. Yeah. So it can there's a way to use all those aspects of masculinity for for healing, for growth. It's true. Yeah. We need to give each other permission by, you know, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. I definitely discovered that like as a podcast host, you know, I felt people were definitely more open, you know, once I started to open up and share things too. Yeah. It, it's leading by example, right? right. I, I wish 90% of the conversations I have on podcasts or even with clients weren't necessary, but they are. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we, we, we've had some experience with that. I mean, I, I do a, another solo podcast called, called Turn Up the AC. It's just little three minute glimpses into the darkest recesses of my mind and my emotional landscape. I've been very raw and open and honest too, which is why I found your work fascinating. I think that we're both approaching the same challenges, but using very different tools sometimes. Uh, the other show that Alexis and I co-host deals with a lot of family estrangement issues. So, I mean, you're dealing with people with raw emotions and tough experiences. But what seems to be like the the unifying factor between like all these different projects is that, like you say, when you lead by example, you put yourself out there. It's either you know like what Alexis was saying that people get they they feel like they've been given permission to express. Or they feel like they need to one up your story by like sharing a darker story than their own. It's that, that, that second bit that kind of gets me sometimes because there are times where, you know, like what you're saying that when one guy gets really open, the other guys in the room is like, Oh, the comp, the, the competitive nature kicks in. Do you ever deal with the, the competitive, competitive nature working against the progress of these groups? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example that hopefully will will clear that up. You know, like I was talking to a friend of mine years ago about, you know, the things that just hurt me the most. And he sat with me and the tears actually ran down his face. And what he told me was, you know, you've been so vulnerable with me, brother. I'm going to be just as vulnerable with you. And when he told me his story, I felt like an idiot for having dropped my petty stuff in his lap because this was a guy that had been through unimaginable horrors as a child and he cried over my petty suburban bullshit do you feel like anybody ever holds back in in your groups because the other guys stories are bigger thank you for listening to what i like about you please remember to like follow and share it, it certainly can happen but again these Ideally, these aren't just the first, this is the first five minutes of a group and people keep coming back to the groups and over time they realize. So it's that, it's the way to use the competitive nature. But then after you share like, oh, because that other guy told you he got something out of your sharing. You you were still judging yourself. He wasn't. He right. cried with you. He felt your pain and it allowed him to go into his pain as well. 
Yeah. So again, it's not a it's not a comparison. Our competitive nature can help us get things going, but it, it's not a competition. And by the, right. ideally, by the end of that meeting, everyone feels connected. Everyone feels like they got value from this, and they realize that being open and sharing had its rewards. Right. That right. no one left feeling judged. No one feels like they were picked last. You know, no one feels <laughs> no one feels worse than when they came in. Right. Okay. So, God, I, I love everything you're saying so far. I mean. <laughs> So far, that's I, I, key. <laughs> like, I, like I have to admit, you know, like the, the the whole point of this show is us trying to find common ground with people that we think are different. I've sort of been casually following you as a as a podcast producer and as like kind of like an anomalous male for several years now. I I, I find you fascinating because like I was always thinking, okay, well, there's somebody else out there that's kind of like me. I've listened to several of your episodes, and it's like, God. I feel like in many ways, you and I are, you know, the same kind of creature. But in many ways, I feel like you and I differ. I don't know what it is about you that I thought was so different that I couldn't put my finger on. But I still kind of felt like even as a stranger, I I wanted to keep you at arm's length as much as I wanted to observe you. I don't like that. I take that approach. I feel like there's an underlying snap judgment involved somewhere i don't know what that judgment is exactly but you know maybe at the risk of sounding like a jerk maybe i've just sort of been sold on this idea that like people like us who express ourselves as males are just weirdos (laughs) (laughs) i i have a mug behind me that says weird friends are the fun of life that's the saying I said when I was like 10 years old. My grandmother told me, oh, your friends are so weird. I was like, well, you're friends with the fun of life. Yeah. And like, hey, bring on the weirdness. Yeah. And, and weird, uh, look at the formation of the word. Go, it, it originally yeah. meant spiritual, different, unique. It was more in touch with, so, it, it, you know, it, we've just made it sound like what an oddball. But it, no, it, there's a deeper <laughs> spiritual meaning to weird. Okay. So while we're on the topic of weird, like this is actually a great place to end up. Because I mean, like we want to like bring people together realize that like hey there's nobody that's like such an oddball that they don't relate to literally everybody else on some level what's something weird about you that like you wish people knew that they just don't seem to pick up on (laughs) wow that that might be the most difficult question i've been asked in years um because really i i i i do my best to not intentionally hold anything back so i'm not aware of what, what thing what do i do that nobody knows about i don't know that that exists Everything's so normalized now. <laughs> yeah, even I mean, if it's just like a weird food indulgence, you know, like yeah. yeah, anything, anything. I mean, well, I'm a I'm a roller coaster junkie. I like I love roller. I've been on roller coasters till I get concussions. <laughs> you know, I, we, me and my wife both. We we take trips. We 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 do coaster tours, and uh, we're like the, the oldest people in line by far. Plenty of rides, and we're going till the park closes. And yeah, <laughs> I, I just love it. Like, yeah. Like, do you have video games where you get to build your own amusement parks and things like that? No, 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 no. I just want physics. No, I don't want to fake it. No, I've been on I've been on eight of the top ten rated roller coasters in the world multiple times. Um, my, you know, my uh, my honeymoon was Disney World. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. I so I and and it's because you know emotionally, oh, life is such a roller coaster. All these ups and downs. Oh, I hate it. Yet physical roller coasters bring it on and. It's something I realized was in the front row of a roller coaster, you can't be depressed. Right? <laughs> it, it, it was really proved to me the power of the present moment. Like, I can't be on a roller coaster going, oh, those bills I got to pay. Oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, it just, I can't do it. 
Yeah, no, you're just in the moment and just enjoying the ride. Yeah. And you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's going to happen. You might even die. But I mean, you're just, yeah, it's just, it's an experience. And I don't know, I've kind of learned to more accept my emotions rather than fight them too. I feel like they're very good teachers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, this was like really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I used to like roller coasters like that too, until I had kids and now everything makes me nauseous, but Yeah. <laughs> No, cell's still cell's still a blast in front. That's one of the things I hate most about about the pandemic. I, I had plans to go ride a brand new roller coaster in uh, in Canada this this past summer. Like, oh, they really never opened, never one? got there. Where? Which one? Uh, it's called Wonderland. It's outside of Toronto, and they had I forget the name of it. Maybe Yukon Gold, but it's the it was the world's tallest drop coaster. Ooh, a, a drop coaster, okay. one that brings you right to the edge, and then you pause and you just hang there for, for a really uncomfortable <laughs> amount of time, and then you drop. And I love that. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I have to admit, you're describing this, and my butthole is puckering just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great name for a ride: the, the butthole pucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, this, this whole like coaster. Uh, uh, I don't want to say addiction, but I mean, like this fascination you have with roller coasters and, and hearing how you describe what you're getting out of it. It's such an interesting combination of you're very much a gigantic child and you're very, very much living the most adult life you could be living all in the same transaction. Is it, it, it has this like this, uh, this need for the, the, the roller coaster thrill or anything that provides a similar kind of thrill. Has this always been a component for you? So, so I, I, hmm, all of my vacations, you know, when, when I worked in corporate America and just lived in the cube, I, I like extreme vacations. I like, I don't, I don't want to sit in a beach. I don't want to sit in a chair. I want to do things I don't do normally. Right. So yeah, mm. I've skydived. I've repelled. I've held wild tarantulas in my hands. I've been on multiple safaris in Africa. I've been to the Galapagos islands. I've been to Easter Island. I've been to Stonehenge. I've been to Machu Picchu. I want experiences. And I believe it all comes from all the times I thought I wanted to die. I have like all this unexpressed life force, perhaps from my earlier years. And yeah, I am, I am a big child. I am adventurous and exuberant. And one, one thing that confounded me when, when I was depressed and suicidal, why didn't it give me permission to just go do something? Like, well, if I, if I really think I don't care if I live or die, I should just, you know, move to California and try to be an actor. What, you know, what the heck? I got nothing to lose. I'm suicidal anyway. Why didn't I do something? And it never works like that. You are listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. I want to live. You know, we we get one shot at this. And hmm. <laughs> when I first... When was it? Like 2006, I went to my first like week-long meditation retreat, and it's what cracked me open. And I mourned my suicide attempts. I saw them for what they were. I survived attempted murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I uh, yeah, you know, I bawled, and I bawled. And I, I, sent, I wrote love letters to myself, to my parents. I sent roses to everybody and apologized to the people closest to me. And I, I also never thought of my trying to die. I would convince myself that, well, everyone else is better off. Sure, AC, you might miss me. You know, Alexis, yeah, maybe you'll be sad for a day, but then you'll forget all about me and you'll be better off because depressed old Andy's not around dragging you down. You're not worrying about me. I really believed that. But 
all of my actions, there is an effect on people. There is a big ripple effect. And I think suicide, death by suicide is this gut punch because as human beings, we are all, we do have a level of connection and mm-hmm. we're all in agreement to like, we got to give this our best shot, right? We're mm-hmm. all here until we kind of die naturally. That's this, this unspoken agreement between human beings as a species. Right. And when someone violates that unspoken contract, it scares everybody. Like people would look at me, well, if, if Andy, he's so good in school, he can go to a call, whatever call he wants to go to. What, if he's trying to die, then, then what, what chance do I have in this world? Yeah. Right. If he hit his pain so much, what am I not noticing? Or do, do people see my pain? Right. So there's a vulnerability that, that connects us and a connection in vulnerability, a connection in pain can be terrifying to people that have been told they shouldn't feel. Yeah. So something that you said kind of struck me when, you know, or you and AC, you basically survived attempted murder. And when you say it like that, looking back on all, you know, on my youth and, you know, the, the attempts that I made on my own life, you know, when you see that, you almost kind of sense that there's this other, this other side of yourself that just hates you. And I don't know if this was a gradual thing for you or if there was kind of like, you know, a light bulb moment, but can you remember when you finally made peace with yourself? Yeah, it was, it was at that, that event, this, this again, week long meditation retreat. And it was the first time I went to anything like that. The first time I like went to something alone, not knowing anybody and kind of opposite of what, what you just said, I, I, I always thought I hated myself. What I realized was there was always part of me that loved me. Yeah. That's what I was denying. Oh. Right? It's, it's not until I could love myself that I could really receive love from anybody else. And not until I could really love myself that I could openly and authentically and truly love another person. For when, when I didn't love myself, when I thought, you know, even if I'm not suicidal every moment of my life, you know, it was always there and nobody else could love me enough to fill up the hole of thinking I suck. No one can love you enough to overcome the fact that you don't love yourself if you don't. So when I mourned these murder attempts, when I realized that's what it was, when I accepted the trauma, when I allowed myself to heal, when I allowed myself to grieve, when I allowed myself to feel the shame of what I had done to myself and those who loved me, that's when the real healing finally started. And there was really no looking back. I, I, I love every bit of that. I can identify with it. I, I think anybody who's listening, male or female or anything else on the gender spectrum, can certainly identify with everything you shared today. You seem to have a a great knack of touching on the things about the human experience that hurt, but you touch on them in such a kind and sensitive way. As as we come into the last few minutes here, I mean, normally this is where Alexis and and the and the guest and my, and myself will sort of have a round of you know expressing to each other what we like about each other, having come in as strangers. I mean, I I could go on all day, Andy, about the, the things about you that I genuinely like, you know, like a little less than an hour ago, you were just some guy with a podcast who had a message that I admired. Now you're, 
so much more beautiful. I'm, um, it's, it's sort of silly talking to a guy whose whole work is about like telling people just let their feelings out. I find myself even now in the moment sort of fighting back my tears. I want to say thank you for everything you shared, not just here today, but in, in, in general, so many guys like myself just need to hear your message. And even surprisingly, I mean, hearing like what, how Alexis is respo- responding to your whole like real men feel message too. I mean, like, obviously like this isn't just for th- those of us who stand up to pee, this is for everybody. <laughs> and yeah. so what I really, what I really like about you is that, I feel like you've opened yourself up, but in doing so, it's like I'm sort of just picturing you standing there with your arms open and waiting to sort of like, okay, I'm standing here, I'm vulnerable, but I'm also here willing to like draw you in, like put my arms around you, protect your emotions, help you learn to protect your yourself as well. So yeah, that's my rambling directionless version of what I like about you, Andy. Andy, I really like the energy that you bring. You, you're not just a survivor, but you're somebody I feel who has learned to love life and you've discovered that it has a lot more to offer than just the negative feelings and that the negative feelings can teach you a lot about yourself and about other people. And, um, I really appreciate you talking about these things. I really, really do. It means a lot to me. Ah. Wow, I uh, I'm gonna put you both into this because I, I I I go on lots of shows and I get excited and I get talking and my energy rises up like woo let's go and you both deflate that and bring me back down and and ask a uh, you've asked questions I never get asked and you you make me um, think and be get it back down to earth and ah. Uh, yeah, I I I love the heartfelt connection that you're both willing to make and AC especially you're 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 allowing yourself to feel and at the same in the same conversation like yeah, I don't believe any of this stuff. No, it's nonsense and spiritual. What does that mean? Oh, boo boo, that's all blah 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 and then like, "Oh my god, now I really feel you." Right? So I love that you're willing <laughs> you're you're doing the roller coaster ride, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Andy, if if somebody wants to get in touch with you and your work. What's the best way to go about that? Cool. Um, the hub of all things Andy Grant is theandygrant.com. Just remember T-H-E. Don't settle for just a regular Andy Grant. Theandygrant.com. <laughs> You'll see uh, books I've written, coaching, healings. Um, you get to experience some energy work if you join my newsletter. And Real Men Feel is the podcast. And there's links on my main site for that as well. But Real Men Feel, uh, we're up to 225 episodes. Uh, cover the gamut. And the, the secret behind Real Men Feel is uh, there are lots of female listeners and guests too, right? Because <laughs> men and women, they're both human. <laughs> Weird, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, and yeah, to anybody who's listening, I would really, really recommend, I haven't read any of Andy's books. I have listened to Real Men Feel. It's a fantastic podcast. He's got a great sense of how to help us all navigate the emotional landscape and and help us to embrace the ups and downs of the human experience. So we'll provide links in this week's show notes. And I want to just 
offer another sincere thank you to you, Andy Grant, for joining us today on What I Like About You. And we really hope that we can stay in touch moving forward. Yeah, I'd love that. It is a tremendous pleasure. Thank you, Andy, for coming on the show. 